The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 903 for Monday, December 6th, 2021. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your tips, your questions, your cool stuff found. We gather them all here at Mac Geek Gab Central. And we answer your questions. We figure out which tips are the right ones to share, which cool stuff found is the right stuff to share. And we mix it all together, string it all together into an agenda where the goal is that each and every one of us, including me and John and you, everybody, we all learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include drinktrade.com slash mgg where you can get your first bag of coffee free and five bucks off your bundle zocdoc.com slash mgg where you can download their app for free today boxofawesome.com where code mgg gets you 20 percent off your first box upstart.com slash mgg where you can consolidate your uh, high interest debt and of course get 20 percent off your first year subscription at textexpander.com slash podcast we will talk about each and every one of those in more detail for you a little bit later here in the episode. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. <laughs> How are you today, Mr. John F. Braun? Hey, nice shirt. Is that your family on there? Uh, it is. No, uh, it, it's my adopted family. My, it's the Griswold family on my, uh, on oh, my okay. family Christmas shirt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I said I'm in Durham, New Hampshire, which is true. Uh, I am back here in Durham, New Hampshire. I went and did some traveling. I was out in, uh, for Thanksgiving, I was out in Portland with, uh, the, actually the whole family. We, well, the four of us were out there visiting my son who is going to school out there. It just made more timing sense to, to fly three of us halfway all, all the way across the country. But, um, while we were there, we, Got my daughter ready for her, her five week long trip to uh, to Italy. And we used eSimDB.com, which we've talked about here in the show before, John, to uh, to figure out her data plan. Man, like I, I, we've talked about it. It we know that it exists. Uh, and I, having used it, I am blown away by how easy it was. So eSimDB doesn't sell anything. They are just a, a you know, uh, seemingly impartial. I believe they are impartial resource to find a, a sim for to compare eSims for whatever purpose you need. So we chose Italy, but she was connecting through Heathrow in London. And so we wanted to make sure she had, you know, cell service there, too, even though it was only for a few hours on either end of this trip. So instead of getting an Italy only plan, we got her a Europe wide plan. Uh, but we looked through. And found a company called Airalo, A-I-R-A-L-O, where we got her the the Italy only plans are their Mamma Mia plans, which I love. <laughs> uh, yep. And then but we found their Eurolink plan where they had uh, 50 gigs for 90 days for 100 bucks. So certainly not the, the most the, not the like super least expensive, but got us everything we wanted. She's going for more than 30 days. So we were going to have to pay for m more than one 30 day plan regardless of what we did. 
And so it was like, all right, you know, you put it all together and this one just made the most sense. So that's what we chose. And then, you know, we did it on her computer, whatever she logged in, she paid for it. And then she got a QR code up on the, on the screen, you know, and uh, this was the most amazing part, John is it said, scan this QR code with your, your phone or whatever. And you know, you go, you, you, I think you go into like, I don't think you do it just with the camera app. I think we did it with like in the, in the, the, you know, setting cellular or whatever. And you scan it there and it's like, okay, you're all set. Like, that's it done. And then she had, you know, two, uh, lists, uh, two, um, signal strength meters up at the top of her phone. And then, and then what's great at that point, once you have the second SIM loaded on your phone is you can go in to settings cellular, uh, and configure which line is used for which, um, purpose. So you could say, all right, well, I want my primary line to be used for voice calls, but I want this other thing to, and, and the, the plan we got her doesn't have any voice. So it was like, okay, yeah, leave that on for voice. Uh, you know, but then uh, for data, she'll use the, the, you know, the travel one, which she switched over to when she landed in London. And, uh, and what's cool is you can go in and configure each line, you know, of course, but you can also just turn one of them off. So we, that's what we did is we just, you know, once she got to London, she turned off her, her mint mobile and, uh, and that's it. Like, it's that simple. It was really amazing how, like, e even just in, in the last five years, how much this has evolved, because it used to be that, man, you'd have to land and then, you know, bleary after a red eye, find the 24 hour SIM store in, you know, the airport, which is just like utter mayhem. If you've, if, if you think you know what chaos looks like, but you've never been to one of those, it's a whole other level because it, it's just crazy, but that's what you had to do. And then you're like futzing with this tiny little SIM, obviously, and trying not to lose your original one and putting it in and getting it all set up and provisioning and all that stuff. And this was just so much easier to do with an eSIM. So I, I was blown away and I figured I'd, I, you know, it's, it's what happens. So we share the experience. It's what we do here. Yeah, uh, I wish they had it when I got my iPhone 12 mini. You have an eSIM in your iPhone 12 um, mini. You could totally do this. When I got my phone and I talked to Verizon, though, they were like, yeah, we're not doing eSIM yet. Here's the thing. I don't think you want to. I think like like because like for for my daughter's phone and my phone, my mint plan, which is my primary plan, is on a physical SIM because you're you're our our iPhones now have. In the U.S., they have one physical SIM slot and then one eSIM, you know, virtual slot. And I don't think you want your primary plan on that eSIM because of exactly what we just talked about. You want the flexibility of being able to add that mm -hmm. international thing without having to go through the, the frustration right. of getting a, a, a physical SIM. Because I can't, I couldn't, and I think it's still this way, I couldn't buy a physical SIM with a phone number, because that's how it works, in uh, in Europe without having a billing address in Europe. So, mm. like, you couldn't buy it in advance. When we went to London a couple of years ago, it just wasn't a thing. You had to deal with it, like, as soon as you got off the plane. And it sucks. So I don't think you would want your primary plan. Uh, I think that should be on a physical SIM. And then... Okay. Yeah. And it was. When it I got is, the yeah. phone... Yeah. When I got the phone and I 
powered it up, yeah. it immediately said, um, yeah, your SIM sucks. Um, right. Come to the Verizon store and we'll give you a 5G one. Yes. Yes. There, some some carriers. Verizon. Well, Verizon's weird, right? Because up until recently, they weren't using SIMs. I mean, they were, but not not in the GSM SIM way. And then they've kind of switched over now that, mm-hmm. you know, we're all in this sort of more homogenous world. And and um, so that makes sense that you would have had to have gotten a new SIM. You probably had that SIM for five years or something through several phones might, would be, mm-hmm. my guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. And what is cool, I noticed um, Mint would let me switch from a physical SIM to an eSIM, which is nice. But again, I don't want to limit myself, so I'm going to leave it that way. However... If I lost my SIM, I could call up Mint and have them provision my eSIM for me. And, mm. you know, I'm back up and running at least, you know, temporarily until I until I get that physical SIM because I'm going to Mexico. Well, hopefully going to Mexico in February and uh, and we'll need to do something very similar to what I just described. And I will use eSIMDB because uh, it's it's a great resource. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 All right. Um Quick tips. It's time. You want to take us to Dale, John? Yeah, here's a good one that I verified. Um, uh, this is one of those tips that will be known by some people, but me become one of the five new things for others. I like cool. it. That's the whole idea. Um, I created a new reminder on my iPhone running iOS 15.1. I wanted it to type a precise time and was expecting to see a keypad that would let me type, in this case, uh, 18 hours, 22 minutes, the time that the International Space Station starts to become visible overhead. Um, instead, I got the revolving wheel that had increments of five minutes. How annoying. Um, solution, press on the revolving wheel, hold for a moment, and then let go. There was no haptic feedback, but the number pad appeared, enabling me to create the reminder with precise time. Yep. And yeah, I verified this. I, I I don't use reminders, but going in there, I you know I got to scratch my head over why they default to five minutes and not minute minutes. <laughs> Probably because it would be a pain if it you know if, if your reminder is for nine o'clock a.m. but you want it to be nine thirty, scrolling mm. through thirty iteration or 30 Mm. notches on the wheel is much worse. Right. Like, so I think that's, that would be my guess is they just decided from a user experience Mm. standpoint, most people are doing meetings. They probably could have done zero, 15, 30, 45 and hit, you know, 85% of the use cases, but they probably said, well, let's get a little more granular, but we don't need to be super Mm. granular. But yeah, that, that hold it down thing. um, I don't know that that's documented by Apple anywhere, but, that it's not just reminders. It's anywhere that you see that time wheel, you can hold down on it and do that. And I forgot, I had totally forgotten about it until this quick tip came in. So this is great. Good stuff. Craziness. Um, You mentioned iOS 15.1 for Dale did. And that reminded me a couple of episodes ago, I lamented the fact that I could ask Siri to set an alarm on my phone but could not ask Siri to stop or snooze an alarm once it was ringing on my phone. And that sort of disconnect drives me crazy. If I can start something with my voice, I really want to be able to stop it with my voice. Many of you pointed out that iOS 15.1 fixes that. So you can now, finally, after all these years, tell Siri from across the room, 
stop my alarm, snooze my alarm, and it will do just that. So I was stoked about that one. It's good. Nice. Yeah. Um, Mike uh, has an iOS 15 tip for us. He says, I like to assign photos to my contacts. I also make as much use of the people album in photos as I can. I wanted to change a contacts photo while editing the contact on my iPhone, which is running the latest iteration of iOS 15. Editing the contact photo brings up common choices, including the ability to take a picture, choose from photos, etc. After a few beats, faces of that contact populated as choices coming from the people album. It made it super quick, easy and cool to add an updated contact photo. Bonus uh, as a bonus, uh, he says it was also already cropped and centered on the face. Right. Because the people's album has art like in order for it to get into the people's album, photos has already done its computational stuff to figure out where the face is and then figure out whose face it is. So it knows, which I think is cool. Yeah, I like that. That's smart. Then people. Yeah, every now and then I'll notice when I'm uh, where. Is it mail every now and then mail on my iOS device? Maybe on my Mac will come and say, oh, your contact has a new photo. You want to replace it? And I'm like, okay, that's your contact sharing it with you, right? Like Mm -hmm. if I go and update my photo and say, share this with other people, that's when you'll get triggered to be like, oh, do you want Dave's new picture or Dave's new name? Like you can do all kinds of things. So, yeah, yeah. Cool stuff. Uh, One more quick tip. Uh, then we've got a bunch of speaking of cool stuff. We've got a bunch of cool stuff found and, and all that stuff. But John, you want to take us to Todd before we yes. migrate on? So uh, Todd says, I was very frustrated by all the Slack notifications on my Mac Monterey screen. And what I thought was uh, a need to close each one individually. But then I accidentally hovered over the X to the right of show less. And the X changed to clear all such a time saver silly that it was there all along but perhaps uh, there is someone out there who has not noticed this as well this of course works for more than just slack notifications um the good news dave is that this works not only on ios but mac os you know, oh nice i decided to i yeah. decided to get a little adventurous so um so this uh I think They're he was talking true. about Mac OS, right? Or was he talking about? Yeah, he was talking about Monterey. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you're right. You can do it on both iOS and Mac OS. I, I agree with you. Yeah, that's great. All right. Cool. All right. So, yeah, we've actually we've got some cool stuff found. We do have some tips that um, some public service announcement style tips that we're going to share in a minute here. The next thing that I would love to do, Mr. Braun, if it's OK with you, is uh, talk about our first uh, mm. couple of sponsors here. Um, OK. All right, John, I have a confession to make. You know me, I don't usually drink coffee. Well, the universe has conspired to change that a little bit for me. The first thing was that we got a new super automatic machine uh, because our old one finally flaked out. And so it has a lot more controls, which allows me to really dial in what I would want. And then the second is that we had trade come on board as a sponsor and you know, we get everything delivered to us these days. Trade brings coffee into that realm because they bring the best coffee right to our door. And I just had to try this. 
And I got to say that this stuff is delicious. Trade's goal is to make every cup of coffee your best ever, right? And the journey to your perfect cup starts with taking their coffee quiz. So no matter what you use, if you're like me, you use a super automatic, you use a French press, you're a cold brew person, no matter what, your answers allow trade to pair you with the perfect coffee to fit your taste. And then they'll match you to coffees that you like from over 400 different craft coffees and send you a freshly roasted bag at roasted bag as often as you want. Trade guarantees that you'll love your first match. And boy, they were right. Like, I, you know, I'm not normally a coffee person. And they sent us this Kenya Ichimama stuff from Atomic Coffee in Salem, Mass. It was delicious. The second one that they sent is this Dharma Espresso blend from Temple Coffee in, in Sacramento, California. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm still not drinking coffee every day because we all know me and caffeine. We have a, a delicate relationship. But like this stuff makes coffee taste good It because it tastes good. It's amazing. And for our listeners right now, Trade is offering your first bag free and five bucks off your bundle at checkout. To get yours, go to drinktrade.com slash MGG and use our promo code MGG. There you'll take the quiz to start your journey to the perfect cup. That's drinktrade.com slash MGG, promo code MGG for your first bag free and $5 off your bundle. And this holiday season, you can give the coffee lover in your life the gift of better coffee too with their own personalized gift coffee subscription from Trade. Enjoy and thanks to Trade for sponsoring this episode. Listen, if you dread looking at those credit card statements every month, you're not alone. Debt can feel crippling, and our sponsor, Upstart, can help you on your path to financial freedom. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan, and you get to do it all online. So whether it's paying off your credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, like maybe you need that new NAS or something, right? Over half a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment. Because Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score, and they are expanding access to affordable credit. The way they do it is that unlike other lenders, Upstart considers your income and current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. And it's all done with their five-minute online rate check. So you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000, and you can receive your funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash MGG. That's upstart.com slash MGG. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based upon your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Again, upstart.com slash MGG is where you'll go. And our thanks to Upstart for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Text Expander. Listen, you can supercharge your team with the power of Text Expander because your team can do more with the same resources when you're using Text Expander. You get less repetition, fewer errors, and greater consistency that allows you to maximize your team's productivity. You can use Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. I use it for all kinds of things addresses like my my snail mail address my shipping address i have that in there so i say dhadd and uh and then boom it puts my address out there all formatted the way i want i don't have to worry about you know fat fingering something and it looks all pretty and it looks good but i also use it just for email addresses right if i want to put my email address in a form or something it's a great way to do it you can also do it with a huge long multi-paragraph customer service style response it's amazing how much time you can save and how much more efficient you can be and how much of a better communicator I can be using Text Expander. 
as a tool in my arsenal here. And it's cool. You can keep your whole team communicating efficiently by sharing your snippets of messaging, signatures, and descriptions with everyone who works on projects with you. And of course, it syncs to all your devices. Text expanders available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, iPad. And show listeners get 20% off your first year by visiting textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. Again, textexpander.com slash podcast. And our thanks to Text Expander for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. So I mentioned we had some PSAs to talk about. And one of them comes from our listener, PC Unix, who wrote a piece uh, that he put on Medium, which, of course, we've linked to in the show notes here at MacGeekGab.com. Talking about how macOS Monterey on some M1 Macs, specifically 8 gig M1 Macs, can regularly and perhaps at all too frequently show your system has run out of application memory. And we've heard about this from um, a few of you who have 8 gig M1 Macs, but also from several of you who are consultants helping people, your customers who have 8 gig M1 Macs. And what we had known up until this point, John, was that browser, lots of browser tabs being open was generally the cause for this. And the solution was, you know, quit your browser or certainly restart your Mac and and that would do it on my 16 gig M1 uh, Mac mini in the office and M1 Air. Uh, I, I I had not ever noticed that, uh, but the reports have been that this only happens on the eight gig M1 max well pc unix dug a little deeper and realized stumbled onto something he had changed his cursor and increased its size which you can do going into accessibility display pointer uh and increase the size which is something that i do on both of my computers right i just like to have a larger uh cursor pointer and evidently this is what is causing these um, running it, causing it to, to go into running out of memory. And he said he, he did a bunch of tests and shrunk it back down and, and then it was fine and increasing it caused the same problem. And yes, it's it's exacerbated by having lots of browser tabs open or any of those things that would require the use of lots of RAM. But really interesting that the cursor thing and there's people on the forums he had found. Uh, reporting the same kind of thing. So hopefully this is something that Apple can fix because it seems a little ridiculous that changing your cursor size would impact memory. Sounds like ye old memory leak. <laughs> Sounds like ye old memory leak. I'll give you that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> agreed. hundred percent agreed. In fact, yes, <laughs> but yeah, fascinating, huh? And great sleuthing, I think. So, yeah. So, uh, at least know that that might cause an issue. I have, you know, I've never seen the out of memory errors on my 16 gig M1 machines, mm -hmm. um, but I have noticed that my the amount of free RAM that I have is less than I would expect. Let's put it that way. But I don't really, I know, I just notice it. Like as we've said on the show, there's tons of things that are different about the whole M1 architecture. So. I, you know, taking my Intel knowledge or or uh, baselines over to M1 is is a very wrong thing to do. So it hasn't ever bothered me. However, you know, this is um, this is interesting. So maybe maybe it's doing it on all of them and it's just not becoming an issue on anything that that has more than eight gigs of RAM. Mm -hmm. 
right? I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. Well, that's what happens with the unified memory. We're, we're all learning about unified memory. We're all learning about unified memory. Yeah, you're right. I wonder. So, I, I mean, this is a stretch, but I'll, I'll say it because it came to mind. Unified memory, of course, means that we have the same bank of memory for the CPU and the GPU. Obviously, the GPU is somewhat involved in displaying a larger cursor on the screen. Mm-hmm. And maybe the way they're doing that is a hacky thing. Like, are they telling the GPU take this, this, you know, I'll call it a sprite. It's the wrong thing, but you know, take this, this, this object and like on the fly, expand it and then float it over everything. And maybe the way they're doing that is just super inefficient. I don't know. I like, I I'm, mm-hmm. I know it's a stretch. I know, but you know, a sprite. Wow. So I know I dug way deep in the memory banks for that. One. Wow. Let's, let's talk about turtle graphics. <laughs> <laughs> can remember we do, that? can we talk about logo first? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those that don't know, a uh, logo was a entry level computer language to, yeah. you know, mostly teach kids to program. And one concept they had was a little turtle where you told the turtle where to go to draw things. Yeah. And turtle graphics. Yeah. Logo was easy for that. Like it was a great way to, to, you know, learn. I logo came into my life after I already knew basic. I want to say, I don't know why it, you know, but that's just how it, it worked for me. So to me, logo was always like, Oh, I, I have no interest in that thing. Like, you know, I'm past that. At the yeah. time, I thought. I, you know, I think my 10. first, I think my first language was basic on the Apple. Okay. But then I dove into assembler, which. Oh yeah. Right. Had, right. Yeah. Because I wanted more control and that's what you can do in assembler. Right. Right. And then Pascal, which, uh, um, <laughs> I hated Pascal though. I loved Pascal. I, I mean, but, you know, it, I don't know I'll, that I could I'll call pro- it, it, it in my circle. Some of us refer to Pascal as a bondage and discipline language and that it was just too restrictive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that it wouldn't let you easily convert between different data types. And that's the one thing that frustrated me. It's like, well, I want this to be an integer. It's like, no, you don't. And I'm like, no, really, I do. Trust me. <laughs> so were you coming? Cause I was coming to Pascal post basic. And from there, it felt like a far more free language. Cause I didn't have to live with line numbers anymore, but had you already done C by the time you saw Pascal? No. So what did you have as a frame of reference for Pascal? That made it seem more restrictive. Well, once I learned C, which I got C. Okay. C is the good news about C is you can do almost anything with it. The bad news about C is that it trusts that you know what you're doing. Right. (laughs) Right. Which is one. So, okay. So that makes sense. It like from, from the lens of C, Pascal is super restrictive. Yeah, I, I get it. And I, I get why Pascal didn't catch on and, and like live a full life be, because C was right there. Um, but yeah, 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 yeah. Cause I remember going from, cause I did a lot in Pascal and then mm. 
And then learning C was like, oh, my goodness, like this is a whole different thing to think about. Going from basic to Pascal was a pretty easy leap for me. Pascal to C mm. took me a bit to, to get there. I, You know, I. There were so many years, probably, you know, decade or decades between when I used Pascal and when I used PHP. But I feel like they're similar but but again, I, you know, my frame of reference is it's separated by decades, so I could be very wrong. But I, I like as soon as I started using PHP, because I had to well, I wrote our first content management system here at the Mac Observer on a white page in PHP. Like I did not know PHP, nor did I know my SQL. And I knew that I had a week to write a content management system because there was no way I was going to have to publish the site. So it, um, the the the. We started Mac Observer in, in December of 98, and then uh, Skylar, my daughter, was born in December of 99, and I decided not to go to Macworld Expo uh, three weeks after my daughter, four weeks after my daughter was born, and so Brian went, but it meant I was going to be the one to stay home and publish the site, and so I went to Brian's house mid-December. And he spent a day with him and he showed me how he was using Adobe Go Live and all of these awful manual fraught with human error potential processes to like publish a single article. And it would it was like literally a 15 minute process to make sure you updated like all the little includes and this, that and the other thing. And I was like, there's like this is a this is awful. And B, there's no way I'm doing this. So the week between Christmas and New Year's, I sat down and there was no WordPress. This is 23 years ago. Uh, you know, there was no WordPress. There was no or 22 now. Uh, there was no, you know, there was none of this. And so I had to write it from scratch. And and I did. And I learned PHP and I learned MySQL and I wrote the bare bones of our content management system, which to this day uh, is the fastest, most like server friendly content management system I've ever used, including WordPress. Like all of these other things are super bloatware. Mine was friggin' like it wasn't pretty on the back end. It worked fine on the front end, but it was efficient. Anyway, uh, I digress uh, because we're no longer using it. Uh, mostly, there's still some content that was generated from it, but we're not using it anymore. We haven't in over a decade. But um, but yeah, that's how I learned PHP. It was just you know necessity, man. <laughs> but it felt familiar. Like, and I think it was mm -hmm. my Pascal time that 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 did that. All right, well, well, that was, was my favorite language, especially for doing low-level embedded stuff. Sure. Because it would let you do whatever you want. It's like, hey, you want to write to element 15 of a 10-element array? Sure. Yeah, as long as you <laughs> know what you're doing. Wait, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Talk about memory leaks. <laughs> um, yeah, what did we use? Oh, there was this... Um... Yeah, it'll come to me later, but, sure. but there was... Uh, the, but there was a huge market for add-on products that would detect things like this. Like, hey, you're writing to memory that you probably shouldn't be writing to. So uh, cut that out. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, maybe it'll come to me later. Cool. Uh, All right. Well, we'll get, we have an agenda now that, now that we've taken our tangent <laughs> to its logical conclusion when, when we're lost for things to say, uh, let's go back to the agenda. Let's go to Dan, shall we? Yeah. So, uh. Dan's got a good one here. Um, I've done this in the past, uh, or I think I have. But anyways, um, here is how to empty the trash if a file won't get deleted. 
which. Uh, well, yeah, we've run into this once or twice over the years on this show, haven't we? Yeah. And um, uh, and here's the answer. You need to disable system integrity protection or SIP. Um, I had the same issue with a Mojave or Catalina installer file under Big Sur. So what you have to do is you go into recovery and issue the command CRSUtil. What is CRS? Uh, well, we can we can look at it. TLDR, CRSUtil. I think there's more to it than that. Uh, there is no man page for CRSUtil, or there is no TLDR page for CRSUtil. Um, I'm not convinced that's the right command, is it? Uh, uh, I think so. Okay. No, the looks of it, I've, I've, I've done this before. But anyways, what happens is, uh, so briefly, the steps involved here are restart your computer in recovery mode, which I believe is command R. Okay. Um, then you go into the terminal. Oh, it's CSR so util. That's the issue. He had the R and the ah. S reversed. So, yeah, 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 yeah. It's CSR util disable is the command to, to do it. Yes. Okay. Got it. Um, all right. So, yeah. So, restart your computer recovery. Go into the terminal. Run the command. CSR. Okay. He got it right later on. Okay. Uh, got <laughs> it. Good, good. 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 And then restart your computer, and then you can empty the trash. Um, and then do the reverse, because you probably want to have system integrity protection on because it protects your computer, but sometimes it gets a little over ambitious and does things like this. <laughs> Interesting. No, this makes sense. I mean, this is, this is a great tool to have in the, the can't empty my trash arsenal here. Right. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I like it. All right, cool. I don't know that. I don't know that I've ever tried that for, erasing empty the trash that's a that's a good one all right yeah cool we'll put that command in the show notes too but you can't type it from the terminal of your normally booted mac you have to be in recovery mode for that to make a difference right right yeah the yeah the command won't work no regular mode that's right yeah 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 cool um i saw something john in our as a, a final psa here from uh, Howard Oakley over at the Eclectic Light Company uh, talking about the release. And this is a couple of months old, actually almost three months old, that uh, the Time Machine Mechanic version 1.19, it was his release notes for it. Uh, and he said um, in it, the uh, I in, in the release notes, he says, I intend this to be the last version which supports the full range of Mac OS from 10.12 to 12. Once Monterey is released. So, right, this came out before Monterey. Uh, I will be developing T2M2 version two, which will only work on Big Sur and later when backing up to APFS storage. This will make full use of the additional information provided on this new form of time machine without also having to be compatible with backing up to HFS plus volumes. So. Like this is a this is an interesting thing to to consider that, you know, I, I consider Howard Oakley a one of, if not the, you know, expert on these types of things, especially on sussing out time machine problems. And the fact that his diagnosis, diagnostic software 
is not going to work with HFS plus volumes in the future tells me that he trusts APFS for his time machine backups and in fact prefers it in a huge way. And I think that is good advice for us all to follow with our time machine backups. So it will require you, uh, you know, reformatting your time machine drives in most cases to uh, to to be APFS and starting from scratch. But I think this is this is a good uh, a good barometer of of the fact that we should all be doing exactly that. Found it interesting, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, and in the back of my head, I I recall someone wrote in, and I did a bit of research on this. I don't know if we talked about it, but um, APFS is not good on rotational drives. It's not. I think fast. it was an article for. Yeah. I, I think it was an article from someone. I think at OWC. Okay. I, yeah. I came across. No, there's been a lot of those. Like, yeah. Yeah, and our, the the summation was basically APFS is not optimized for rotational drives. That's so right. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I found the article. It's uh, using APFS on hard drives. You and why you might not want to. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yes, I, I okay, will put a one. I'll put a link in the show notes. That now to be fair, that is a four year old article. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Bear that in mind when deciding uh, whether or not, you know, this is still relevant advice, folks. But um, but it, it it certainly was true. I think it, it has seen some optimizations since then in the last four years. I mean, APFS mm-hmm. was very young four years ago. Uh, and so I, I, I think that's not quite as true as it is today. But I would... Uh, I would still, if I were booting my Mac from a rotational drive, which I know most of us are not anymore, but if I were booting my Mac from a rotational drive, I would use, I would probably still err on the side of HFS plus if I were running an operating system that let me do that. But that's also not going to be the case for most of us. So I think we sort of, and certainly for time machine, I would use APFS on a rotational drive for time machine. I would not let this discourage. Mm. Oh, for sure. Because it's a okay. way more reliable time machine um, with, right. with APFS. And, yeah. and all that fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I would definitely use APFS no matter no matter what, what type of drive it's on. So, um, but mm. it was slower. That may still be the case. Honestly, I haven't done any testing in the last two years, um, but it was true, you know, two years ago for sure. But still, I would. I, it wasn't so slow that it was like you know super sluggish. It was just noticeably less efficient um, mm-hmm. on a rotational drive. But still, I would. I mean, oh, even on an SSD, APFS was slower than HFS plus. It, certainly, when it came out, it just was exacerbated yes. on rotation. I remember. Yeah, I remember doing some benchmarks, and I'm like, "Oh, that's not good." Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, should be faster. Right, right, right. Uh, Jackal in the chat room at live.macgeekab.com asks, so how does Time Machine preferring APFS mix with using a NAS for Time Machine backup? It works quite well. What we need to remember is that when Time Machine backs up to a network drive of any kind, it doesn't matter, uh, it creates a disk image on that drive, right? It, it's not treating the drive as a 
you know, as a local drive that it can format and manipulate, it wants that. So it creates a disk image. And then inside of that, it can format the disk image and manipulate it the way that it wants. And it will create an APFS disk image on your NAS or anywhere else you go and put it. So you have to let it create a new one, though. And uh, that was true as of 11.1, I think, was what we found last year was that we were earlier this year, somewhere right around the first of the year was when when we started to stumble into this, that time machine backups got very different even on APFS when 11.1. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Was it 11.1? Wow. Now I get now I get so confused. Whatever that was. Doesn't matter. Whatever OS you're using today. Yes. Start it fresh if you haven't uh, and let it do APFS and you'll be fine. That's I mean, that's what I did with all of mine. And quite frankly, I haven't had to blow them away mm. like I was with the HFS plus disk images that it was creating. And I hadn't really I thought about not, that. I have not had that problem either. That's yeah, really I, interesting. We haven't talked about this, John. Wow. Another tangent. I like it. Huh? I mean, the other thing I did, I, I did verify and we had someone mention a while ago and I verified this, but they were like, what's the format? Um, or is time machine APFS case sensitive? And it is. Yes. That's right. It will Which make found, it case sensitive. That's right. Yeah. At some point it, it converted the disc image yeah. over to that. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Seems to be what it wants. Yeah. Because case sensitive usually causes grief <laughs> from what I found. But. Well, there was, there was a problem in the past, right? Because boot, and I would still err on the side of choosing not case sensitive for everything else that I do. Because there have been pieces of software that were written with the assumption that the volume was not case sensitive. Uh, there was mm. it was an Adobe installer was the most popular one, if I remember correctly, that mm. it that just assumed you would not be using case sensitivity on your volumes. And it would totally crater on the install if that <laughs> um, if that were the case. Now. That's not the fault of anyone except Adobe or, or you know, whatever software developer is, is making an assumption. You can check. You can go look. You can do a test even. You can write two files and see if it'll let you. Like, there's all kinds of ways of making sure that a volume is, is going to fit your needs, uh, not assumptions. So, yeah. And just like we have to, you know, when we're writing an installer or whatever, you want to make sure that there's there's space on the volume to put the things that you're about to copy there. Mm -hmm. That's a good space. To, that's a good place to start. So, yeah. All right. All We've right. got cool stuff found, John. Shall we uh, Shall we stuff Let's it up? dive in here. All right. All right. Raymond is going to uh, start things off here. Um, uh, in your last podcast, you were talking about how to download videos from YouTube and other sites. I just wanted to let you know about an app I use for YouTube videos and other sites, too. It is called ClipGrab, and you can find it at ClipGrab grab.org it works really well and i've used it to download lots of exercise videos for my workouts just thought you might want to check it out it is free nice so thank you yeah that's great we had actually quite a few of you write in about clip grab mm -hmm. thanks to raymond and all of you that's um yeah that's great yeah, yeah yeah i you know i'm such a terminal guy i guess i guess the reason 
is I like to download directly to my NAS when I download from YouTube. I don't know why. I'm just in the terminal all the time. There's no reason not to use ClipGrab to do that. As long as you can set a destination folder, that's probably way easier than the... the mm-hmm. I need to get ClipGrab. I've just talked myself into this, John. Mm-hmm. I need to evolve. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm, gonna, I'm doing it, man. Yep. Uh, all right. Another cool stuff found. Uh, from Todd, Text Snipper is his recommendation. He says, I've been using Text Snipper on my Mac for quite a while, and you all have mentioned it on shows uh, years and years ago. I love it and use it all day long. I'm also excited that live text brings this to more people and spreads the idea of this capability. But more often than not, live text does not always work in our day-to-day workflows. Hoping that folks can take this capability to the next level via the text timber app or Gary Rosenzweig's excellent shortcuts tip for capturing text anywhere one could build a keyboard shortcut. Uh, he says, like the command PP setting, thanks to Pilot Pete to print a PDF, grabbing text anywhere off a screen is a huge productivity boost in our day to day use of our Macs. And that is what Text Snipper does. Very cool. Yeah. OK, cool. Thanks for uh, thanks for for reminding us of that. That's I yeah, I forget about these things. This is the problem. You know, there's there's too much stuff to remember. We're not you know, it's it's not how we uh our, our feeble human brains aren't aren't good at remembering things. They trick us. They they make us think we're good mm-hmm. at remembering things, but we're not. And speaking of reminders, yes, sir. Bob gives us a reminder of something that we've talked about in the past. Um, but Bob writes in and says, "I wasn't aware of the ability to create tabs in email until I listened to episode nine hundred two. I don't know if this is a quick tip or not, but I use a free app called Cheat Sheet. Yeah, Cheat Sheet." Say it 10 times fast. (laughs) Cheat, 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 cheat. Um, And we'll link to it, of course. But um, I haven't, I I actually have it on my machine, but I haven't run it for a while. Because at at times I found it kind of annoying. And then what happens is that you, um, you typically hold, I think you hold down the command key or something like that. But if you hold it down too long, cheat, cheat comes up. And gets in your face. Got it. Uh, And I didn't really like that. Right, right, right. I found it, but um, for the purpose of discovering keyboard shortcuts, um, uh, that's what it does. Um, So, for example, it showed um, creating a new tab in mail. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Ah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, it was frustrating. That mail tabs thing was an interesting thing, John, because for years, for one version of the OS, so like two OSs ago, I can't remember anymore, uh, to our point, there were options for manipulating the tabs in mail, but there was no way to create one. So it was like the functionality was there, but we couldn't touch it. And obviously now, uh, now we can. I, I use it constantly. It really, I agree. It's one of those game changer things, man. It, it like, it's it, total workflow rethink. And I love it. I love, I use it all the time. All right. Um, I love what Synology announced last week, and I want to talk about that. I also love our sponsors, and I would love to share uh, the next two of those, if that works for you, Mr. Braun. Will do. All right. Hey, when you need to see a doctor, 
You need a doctor now, not in a few days, not in a few weeks, and definitely not in a few months. And if you need to see a doctor ASAP, we've got your solution. Our sponsor, ZocDoc, it's ZocDoc.com slash MGG, is where you want to go to download the free ZocDoc app, which is the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. And with ZocDoc, you get to search for local doctors who take your insurance. You can read verified patient reviews. Right. Find those doctors, doctors with a five star rating. Right. That's what you want. Then you can book an appointment in person or video chat. Never wait on hold with a receptionist again. Whether you need primary care, dentist, dermatologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor or other specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. And again, I said, go to ZocDoc.com slash MGG to download their ZocDoc app to sign up for free right now. I've used this. It's amazing. It, you can even look up reviews on your existing doctors, which kind of gives you a way to level set how, the, you know, how people review doctors. And then you can use that information and go find your new doctor because ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. And now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MGG and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's ZocDoc.com slash MGG and our Thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode. Hey, this winter, upgrade your daily routine with Bespoke Post and their new seasonal lineup of must-have Box of Awesome collections. Bespoke Post partners with small businesses and emerging brands to bring you the most unique goods every month. I've checked a few a few of these things out. This flame thing, right? This miniature indoor fireplace. That's pretty cool. They've got cozy slippers to, uh, that they call the Hibernate Pack. They've uh, got an antipasti pack. They've got a swig pack, which is a travel decanter made for cocktails on the go. Right. Like all kinds of these very cool things. No matter what you're into, Box of Awesome has you covered from winter cocktails to cozy threads to camping gear essentials. Box of Awesome has collections for every part of your life. To get started, you take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right Box of Awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories, and it's free to sign up, and you can skip a month or cancel at any time. Each box costs only 45 bucks, but has over $70 worth of gear inside. Plus, with each box of awesome, you're supporting small businesses, which is a great thing. Get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter our code MGG at checkout. That's just for you. That's boxofawesome.com, code MGG for 20% off your first box. And our thanks to Box of Awesome for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. So last week I got to attend Synology's press event where they, they called it the Synology 2022 event. And uh, one thing that was really interesting was, and perhaps telling, because Synology has always been really good about supporting Apple users natively. Um, and uh, Philip Wong, their CEO, sort of bookended the the thing. He talked about Synology at the beginning and then and then was there to wrap it at the end. Uh, well, other people took care of other things in the middle, but he said, um, we are still hungry and still foolish at the end of the announcement, which I thought was a nice nod to it. it that's not a Steve Jobs phrase, right? But Steve Jobs definitely adopted it as his own and used it. It came from Stuart Brand in the whole earth catalog, which by the way, my son bought, oh gosh, it, it was, it was like the whole earth compendium or something. 
it was like a really thick version of the whole earth catalog. He bought it for five bucks on the Reed campus and brought it to the Airbnb we had last week. So it was fun to kind of look through that. Uh, but anyway, um, they, they announced a lot of different things. There are things that are more for the enterprise, all very cool stuff, but there were a few things that jumped out at me, John. And the most important one was, um, in their wireless networking department. Now, after four years, They've got a new router coming in the first quarter of 2022. It's the Synology RT6600AX, and it is a Wi-Fi 6 router. It supports, uh, they call it the 6600AX because it's a 6600 megabit per second router. Uh, it is. Uh, it supports uh, 4 by 4 channels on the 5 gigahertz band. It also supports the 5.9 gigahertz band which will be great uh, because that's a huge, I, I think that's going to make a, a big difference, you know, because it's not a cluttered uh, brand, uh, cl cluttered band. And so uh, it, uh, it will get, and, and then it'll get SRM 1.3, which is their Synology router manager, um, which adds a lot of things to uh, one more thing on the router itself. We'll have a lot to say on this router as, as things move on. Because we are big fans. I, certainly, I it's the router that I use to sort of be the edge of my network. It will support the whole Synology mesh ecosystem if you want to use it that way, too. But it, it's a standalone router. Uh, but it, it supports SRM 1.3, which is Synology Router Manager, the next version of, of this. I, honestly, I think they should have called it SRM 2.0. But here's the good news. The RT6600AX will be the first Synology router to support SRM 1.3. But it will work on all of Synology's routers, including the 1900 and the 2600. So this is good news. Some of the things that they add, the big one, multiple networks, both wired and wireless. We were just talking about VLANs, John, and why people might want these. Their use case was great. Set up your main network, your guest network, and an IoT network. And you can not only segment them by device and VLAN things to your heart content, you can also set up different SSIDs for that IoT network separate from your other ones. So you're not even sharing a password amongst these things. Uh, it's uh, You can bridge networks with one-way rules so that your media server can be connected to the IoT network, but it will only be able to talk to things on your main network if your main network initiates the connection. So like they've... And, and they, they went through the interface really fast, really fast. But their goal, and it looked like it was pretty much there, was to do it in a way that's not that doesn't require you to like go to network engineering school. Um, so, uh, so that that all excited me a lot. And the new they have a new DS router app for iOS coming along with SRM one point three, and that will support all these new features. You can create your multiple SSIDs. You can manage VPNs on it, like all of the stuff that they've. They've baked a lot more into the into the iOS app, which I thought was really, really cool. So I, I okay. like it. Yeah. So if I heard you right, so this new router is going to support what I guess people refer to as Y gig, right? Well, I mean, we or already 60, have that. You're 60 gigahertz. Yeah, that, right. The 60 gig. No, no, uh, no. Six gigahertz. The 5.9 gigahertz bandwidth is what people oh. are calling the six right. gigahertz bandwidth. So, um, so, but, but there's other things that aren't on that six gigahertz bandwidth. 
Right. Mm. And it like most other things are not on it. Like right now with Wi-Fi um, with Wi-Fi six, it, it you can't take advantage of the full Wi-Fi six capabilities because we're still sharing bandwidth in that five gigahertz range with everything else. So this adds the six gigahertz, uh, essentially six gigahertz uh, band range, which is that's the big deal there okay. among other things that they've added, obviously. But um, yeah, I'm stoked about this thing. It's pretty, pretty cool. And it'll do right. 160 megahertz Wi-Fi channels because it has the room for them on that, you know, on that band. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So what's with this 60? Because I, I did a search and I found 60 gigahertz coming up as well. And I think some vendors that we saw at a past show were actually saying, oh, yeah, by the way, we, we do 60 gigahertz. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I, it's, but as I mean, far it's as I know, yeah. that's very short range is that, yeah, I mean, the higher the frequency. Right. You know, the more juice you need to, uh, to get a signal. That's but, right. Um, but I haven't seen much happen with. No, I mean, they're that. out there. Aces and, and Netgear make them. I, you know, it. I, yeah, I haven't. Right. We haven't seen a whole lot of use cases for that. If you know of them, feedback at MacGeekab.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, y- you can send it on six gigahertz or or. Yeah. No, send it to feedback at MacGeekab.com. <laughs> feedback at MacGeekab.com. This router also has a, a two point. They call it a multi gig port which everyone is assuming is a 2.5 gigabit Ethernet port on it um, mm-hmm. for the upstream connection. So that oh, if, neat. well, like if you have a gigabit uh, cable connection right now, those are all through through Xfinity anyway, those are all not gigabit. They're 1.2 gigabits. But if you're using gigabit Ethernet, you'll never get that speed, right? And so this mm-hmm. allows you to to, you know, to get there, which... It's pretty cool. I'm I'm stoked about what they're doing here. So uh, there were two other things non-router related that also uh, a made me happy about the feature itself. And B, because it's Apple specific, always gives me more confidence in Synology. One is that Synology Drive will finally get on demand syncing for Mac OS. So you can hmm. choose kind of like optimized storage on this device with what we get with iCloud uh, that now will come to Synology Drive, which I think, which is huge, right? Because you don't want to have to choose. You just want to manage your space and be smart about it. Um, and then uh, Max will get the ability to use active backup coming in a, in a future DSM-7, uh, which is DS- DSM-7.1. Oh, nice. is, yeah, I know. Yeah, no. So they're really, they're they're there for us, which I'm stoked about. So yeah, good stuff. All right. Um I have another cool stuff found to share, John, and but it's but it's also a geek challenge. I know, right? Who does this? We do. It's starting today. I have this great, and this is something where I would love for you to go and watch our YouTube video on this because that's the only way you're going to be able to help us. Uh, maybe not, but it, it is one way. So I have this uh, MagSafe uh, power bank, right? And it's it's great. It's it's thin. Uh, it magsafes to my phone, which I will grab and and show for those of you that are watching. And it you know it it magsafes to the phone, and it's great. It's got a little kickstand on it, right? Which is cool for you know watching movies and things like that. Lovely. Um, what it also has is its magsafe disc is also an Apple Watch charging puck, 
which is mm. amazing to me that someone has done this. Uh, I think it's going to charge my watch. Eventually it will. Maybe I'm maybe there it is. Yeah. yeah okay. So it is right. I've proved it on the screen. Uh, I cannot find who sent this to me. I cannot find how I could tell you to go get one of these. And I would love to be able to tell you how to go get one of these. There is a model number on it. I searched for that model number. It's C-I-O-M-B-2-O-W-5000-M-A-S. And I found through a few hops and links and, you know, reformatting a Japanese Amazon URL that it is the CIO hybrid wireless battery for iPhone 13 and Apple Watch. And I found it on Amazon listed as, of course, currently unavailable. Currently unavailable. That's right. <laughs> so I don't know where you can. I don't have I have no idea. Usually people ask me for my address. Right. And so I looked in the last, you know, month or whatever uh, in my sent folder for my street name, because that's how it would have gotten to me. And mm. no, nothing. So I, I like I mean, I, yes, there are some things in there, but they're, uh, they're all accounted for. So I have no idea where this came from, but it's a cool thing. And uh, and I really like having the ability to charge my watch and my phone from the same little power bank. That's a super handy thing for a variety of reasons. And I don't know how to get another one, let alone tell you how to go get one. So let us know if you've ever found anything like this or, in fact, this one, because I'd love to we'd love to share. That's what we do here. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, John? I mean, I, I'd be shocked, but. You shocked me sometimes, so it's good. No, I'm I'm looking at their webpage, and so what happens if you go to their webpage and you say, "Huh?" I'm just wondering if you could buy it from their website. Hmm. What is what is even their website, though? Well, so the the Amazon link that you posted, yeah, it says visit. The CIO store. Sure, but that's you, the Amazon store, right? No, it's yes. Uh, okay, it's it's uh, all right. It it's their store on Amazon, right? Okay. Right. Hmm. I know. I know, and I don't see any power banks here. Yeah, I know. Oh, I actually, I, that's not true. I do see power banks here. Okay, wait, maybe this is listed as something different. No. No, it's not. They don't have any MagSafe power banks on their uh, hmm. on their on their thing. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. So, as I find out more, I will let you all know. It's like it's a nice little thing. Shut up and take my money. You shut up and take my money. Yeah, exactly. I will say this. So I I used those uh, my charge the 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 MagSafe battery packs uh, on this trip as well as this one. My only complaint about this CIO one is that it doesn't hold its rotation well. Uh, it will still, as I rotate it on the back of my phone, it will still hold. But like the CIO ones seem to use the third, like the, the little leg off the MagSafe thing as a great stabilizer. This does not have that same level of stability, but the reality is it works just fine. You know, it works on my, on my phone in my pocket. It works on my phone pretty much anywhere. So, so anyway, that's um that that would be my only complaint about this is if they could make it a little more, you know, like if it could hold better. But but it holds well enough for what most of us are going to do with it. So. Mm -hmm. 
Some of you, if you're watching the video, you almost certainly would have noticed that I'm using a different microphone today. Some of you might have even heard it, although I will say that this it's the new Earthworks Ethos, E-T-H-O-S microphone uh, that I'm testing out today. And I will probably use it for a couple of weeks uh, just to, to you know force myself to get over any change resistance with it. It is um, a microphone that's an iteration of their uh, of another mic that they had sort of a combination of, of a few mics in my opinion uh, as to what they had and they um, but it is the you know I use that Heil PR40 and I've used it for years and then I earlier this year I tested out the Earthworks Icon mic which I was impressed with but it felt a little flat to me it needed a lot of EQ to make it sound like home for me and it was just always a little bit scratchy um, a little bit too much high end, you know, for, for what I was doing here for me, for my voice. And, uh, although Pete sounded great on it, I will say. And so I wound up going back to the PR 40 after, you know, a month or month and a half on the, on the icon. This one feels most like home to me of any mic that I've used. I'm using very little EQ on this. Um, maybe a little, a slight, pullback at like 800 hertz or so um, because it was just being a little bit to me it was being a little bit too energetic there but otherwise the top end is fine i'm not having to like dial in a ds or a whole ton it's a comfortable mic to use it's a little weird because it has a foam windscreen on it and that is part of the design of this microphone uh, it's you know it's it's built that way its predecessor kind of had a foam windscreen that i think they they, you know, they've just brought forward, um, but it's a, it's a great sounding mic. It's an end fire microphone as are the others that I've used here. Meaning if you're looking at me, you know, the sound goes into the end of it. I talk across an end fire microphone uh, to keep my peas from popping at all of you. And also just to keep things out of my way. Uh, this one is built. If you look at the, the pickup pattern on it, it's built so that even if I sort of sneak around the edge of it, it still sounds pretty much the same on this edge. But if I sneak around this edge, it starts to sound a little bit differently. So they've hmm. really built it, uh, at least for me in this way. I, I, I like, I like how I can just be natural with it. Um, I don't know if it'll, it'll, if it'll remain my, um, main mic. I kind of want to go and use it on other things like, you know, on my snare drum right over there and, and see how it, it does for that. Cause it feels like it's got that perfect sort of articulation that I might like out of a snare drum, but, but still has that, that beefiness of, you know, that, that mid range that I actually pulled out a little bit. So I'll keep you posted, but, uh, if you heard something different, that's why, um, we have a couple of questions, John, about family harmony. And so I want to talk, <laughs> I want to talk about Ed first here because we use technology to so in so many areas of our lives and so much of it is to, to make our lives better. Well, uh, listener Ed says, we're planning a trip to the Bahamas. My wife informed me that the finale of the bachelorette will be happening while we are there. I was told it was my job to make sure she can see it with our Fubo app. I usually take my Amazon fire stick on travels. It's less bulky than our Apple TV. A great piece of advice there, by the way. I like that because you can plug it into a TV when you're traveling and you're good to go. Um, but the Googles tell me that accessing anything on Fubo while I'm in the Bahamas is unlikely. And the only solution is to use a VPN. My friend and yours, Allison Sheridan, forced me to subscribe to Encrypt.me at the end of 2019. 
I figured with all the traveling I was planning in 2020 that it would be a good idea, so I signed up for the renewable subscription. Obviously, I haven't used it in over the last two years, but I discovered that the Fire Stick has both Fubo and Encrypt.me apps, and I plan to load those up before the trip. Due, due to the high consequences of messing this up, is there anything I need to know or should uh, test before leaving on my vacation? So your plan is solid, Ed. Except that it still might not work. Mm-hmm. Um, out of all of the major streaming services that I've tried, which would be YouTube TV, Fubo, and DirecTV Stream, I think Fubo is the least concerned with your actual location. Uh, like YouTube TV does not even care about your IP address. It wants your physical location and it will ask for it in other ways. And also, if you're connecting via a VPN, especially a public VPN, they know it and they, it, you know, they are doing a lot to con- to confirm that they are adhering as best they can to the licensing agreements that they've signed with all of the content providers that they're uh, pulling together for their service. Right. Because that that's what the limitation is. My guess is that YouTube or Fubo or DirecTV could care less where you use it. But their content providers do care. And so they have to at least make a good showing of it. YouTube goes the farthest. Um, I've only experimented with this in the U.S., so I can't say for sure. But I don't think you're fired. Well, so you've got an Encrypt.me app on the on the Fire Stick. I guess one way to test would be to log in with that VPN to somewhere in the Bahamas. Right. It, or if they don't have an endpoint in the Bahamas, choose something, you know, far, far away and then launch your Fubo app and see what Fubo tells you about where it thinks you are. That will be a good litmus test of what you might get with here. Um, if that fails, though, you could go HDMI from your Mac where you have a lot more control over whether or not the location is going to be shared with the browser or if it's just the IP address. Uh, and turning off browser, turning off location sharing for whatever browser you're using so that it really, truly is just using your IP. Because remember, the max location sharing does not get affected by whatever VPN you're connected to. Right. It knows based on the real IP you're connected to and other factors. And and it will divulge that if you let it. Um so I, I that you do that by going to system preferences, security and privacy, location services, and uncheck whatever browser you're going to use there. Um, so that's how I would test all this. However, if it were me and we were prioritizing the Bachelorette uh, and and or the fact of prioritizing the Bachelorette was a key element in family harmony, then I might also rely on other perhaps less conventional means to ensure a backup plan. This falls into don't get caught on both sides of it. Cause you don't want to get caught not want, wanting to watch, not being able to watch the bachelorette. That's number one. But number two is you don't want to get caught doing anything that may or may not be acceptable within the realm of whatever it is. Uh, you're, you're wherever you are when this happens, but I would prep myself to use BitTorrent as a backup here. Um, you know, in the interest of marital harmony, Go to the, the TV section of rarbg.to. That's probably going to be the easiest site to to use to go and find the latest episode of a show um, and grab the episodes from here. But I can't stress this enough. Be certain 
to use your VPN while you're downloading any of these torrents. Um, and hopefully the reasons for that are obvious. Hopefully you don't have to resort to any of this. Quite frankly, it's ridiculous to me that I have to even coach people to do this. I mean, effectively what you, what you're doing is grabbing this in an unauthorized way, right? Like that, that's what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. It would be really nice. I have no doubt that Ed is willing to pay to get this, but he's going to be in a spot where he can't pay to get this. And that's crazy. That this is the problem with rights management is it, it when it becomes such a burden that the easiest thing to do is to pirate this stuff, then people are going to pirate this stuff. Um, so like that's there you go. It You, you got to decide whether you're comfortable with this plan yeah. B here. But but that would be the fail safe backup plan. Yeah, I had this happen a number of years ago. There was some content on bbc sure and i wanted to purchase it it was it was funny animal videos okay yeah i couldn't purchase it i went to their website and they're like yeah it's a zone two disc you can buy it that way and i'm like well that doesn't really work for me because i'm in zone one or yeah. whatever so yeah you're right you're is. in zone one yeah <laughs> yep so i either would have to move to england um right to to watch uh, to consume it there, or as it turns out, I found a copy of it elsewhere. That's but, the problem, um, right? But it was just like, why why are you making it so hard for me to give you money for stuff? That Shut I want up to and take my money. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. It's crazy. All right, we have two more questions in the interest of of uh, familial harmony. So let me see if we can squeeze these in here, John. Uh, Mike says with uh, DSM seven installed and running well, uh, it's time to leverage photos. I think Synology photos. My wife and I both have large photos libraries on our Macs, and those are both replicated on a single Mac mini that has both accounts logged in and uh, continuously syncing. Then the Synology grabs both of those photos libraries in a backup so that the libraries live there. Also, we'd like to use Synology photos to create a single Synology photos library where we back up. Uh, at what we see each other's libraries short of having to slurp all of these up to the Synology from my phone. Is there a better way? Yes, there is a better way because Synology photos, you, you already have all this data on your Synology because you're backing up your photos. Presumably you're doing, you know, carbon copy cloner or something to just copy your photos library up there. So the data is already there and you can point Synology photos at this. And I tell you this because it's exactly what I do. So once you've got your photos library synced to somewhere on your Synology, it will live in a folder that's effectively named, you know, for me, it would be like Dave's photos library dot photos library. When that folder lives on my Mac, it appears as a photos library. When that folder lives on your Synology, it just appears as a folder. You want to point Synology photos to the originals, all lowercase originals folder inside that dot photos library folder. So it's one level deep. If you just Tricky. point, yeah, well, if you just point it at the, at the dot photos library folder, you'll get all of the, you'll get multiple copies of your pictures because photos creates thumbnails and caches them all there and all mm. that stuff. So the originals folder is exactly that. And it works flawlessly for me. I have once a week, my Mac mini in the office syncs my photos library up to the, uh, to my Synology. I don't know why I only have it do it once a week, but that works fine for me. And then all those photos are just in Synology photos. I tell my devices not 
to upload those. Uh, you know, they they are a it's a pull thing only. My iPhone just sees it and it works great. And Synology Photos is a great interface. They have the facial recognition. They have the you know, you want to look for pictures of cats. It already does all that, but it's doing it locally on your Synology. So, yeah, it's cool. It's a, they've done a really nice job with Synology Photos. So. All right. That's uh I'll have, I'll have to revisit it. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. It's part of DSM seven. It's new in DSM seven, Synology mm-hmm. Photos is. So yeah, they've done a nice job sort of merging moments, which was the most recent thing they'd had prior to that with uh the prior photo station, I guess. They they kind of it, you know, they made what most people will want today. It's not what everybody would want, but it's it's kind of like Apple Photos, but stored on your Synology. In fact, very much like that. Um, David has one last question about family harmony. So we're spilling over today, but we're going to get there. Uh, David says, I've been playing around with three highly underhyped features of Apple's current operating systems, automation, shortcuts, and focus. He says, my question is regarding shortcuts in particular. I created a shortcut that I can either with Siri or a tap, let my wife know I'm on my way home. Uh, the shortcut effectively gets an address of my home, which is a fixed location, gets my current location, which is variable, calculates the distance and time it would take to get between the two, and then sends this information as an iMessage to my wife. He says it works great. However, one tweak I'd like to make is instead of a fixed address, my home, I'd like to be able to determine the location of my wife and let her know how long it will take to get to her from where I am. This is handy for things like meeting for dinner, meeting when we're out with friends, etc., etc. Meaning when both our locations are variable, I want to be able to do the same thing, but I don't see a way of getting my wife's location in my own shortcuts. Is this possible? And the answer is, specifically to answer that question, no. Uh, you you can't, like, I know the Find My app can see somebody else's location, but I I haven't seen that exposed via shortcuts, you know, and so it's not there currently. It it certainly is something that could be available, but it's not there. But there might be a, another way to do it because what I found interesting as, as I was reading this, John, is I had written that same automation in workflow before it became shortcuts. It was like my mm. oft used app. I would just tell my wife, yep, I'm on my way home and exactly the, exactly the same thing. But I've stopped doing that. And the reason I've stopped doing that is because Apple Maps has a share ETA feature. And so I will, if I'm going to, you know, I mean, if I'm going home, it doesn't matter where I'm going. Once I put it into Apple Maps, I just hit share ETA and I share it with my wife. Uh, When I was coming to your house more recently, I shared, you know, my trip with you and you can monitor that trip and you can see when I'm going to get there and all of that good stuff. And I think that's the way to, to solve this particular problem. I was going to say I was, that's the way to skin this particular cat, but I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think we're supposed to say that anymore. So, that's, so I, I chose not to. That's, that's just mean. It is. I like my cats. Mm. Yeah. 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 I was surprised when you sent, um, when you sent the notification in the past ways didn't really cut it. Agreed. That you would send me something and I get a notification and then I would go into ways and I'm like, well, where, where are you? Right. No, Apple it, Maps does it way better. It, yeah. Absolutely. No, I Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Cool, cool. So I think that's how I would solve that problem. And that gets us through our family harmony section of the show, which I think mm-hmm. has to be our final section of the show, John. What was the other 
thing that we use. Glimpse was oh, it? Oh, yeah. G-L-Y-M-P-S-E would do the same kind. Well, Glimpse would just show your drive, like your current mm. status. But maybe, now maybe it would do it. Maybe if you put in your, um, whatchamacallit, you know, if you put in your, your destination, maybe it would show that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have no reason to use Glimpse anymore. So, But you're right. That would be the other way. Yeah. Fun. This was a fun little episode. I know we went a little over our targeted end of 75 minutes here, but, um, uh, you know, we're sorry, not sorry, I suppose is the, is the way to say <laughs> that. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else to add, John, before we're out of here? Um, I'm sorry that you're not sorry. No, wait, is that right? No. Oh, that's, I like that. That may, <laughs> that's a, that's a perfect non-pology, I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was trying to. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry you're offended by whatever. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. But yes. I'm not sorry that I did it. Right. That's right. Yeah, no, that's good. That's that's great. Yeah, no, anything, anytime we can we can use language to weasel out of things. That's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like Ed, he's, he's going to be sorry that someone is upset that he had to download that episode via BitTorrent. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. Yeah. But he's not going to be sorry that he did it, I don't think. I hope not. I hope no. not. Yeah. Otherwise, he'll be in the doghouse. Yeah. And perhaps the wrong doghouse. That's not so good. All right. Uh, go subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, you'll be able to see this episode and the few things that I showed you um, and maybe help us figure out where one of them comes from. All right. Uh, YouTube would be MacGeekab.com slash YouTube. That'll get you there. And then then you're good to go. Uh, Make sure to check out our sponsors, please. We always love that when uh, you just got to go visit them. Whether you buy from them is between you and them. Uh, Drinktrade.com slash MGG. Upstart.com slash MGG. Textexpander.com slash podcast. ZocDoc.com slash MGG. Boxofawesome.com with code MGG. Thanks for listening, folks, and uh, make sure, especially if you're Ed, but really if you're anyone, that you don't get caught. Made up. See you next week. Oh, we have a cool interview with someone from Apple coming up. Stay tuned.